The Crux of the Matter, Episode 29, Preaching the Gospel, Part 1. Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And this is Professor Scott Stigmeyer. Hello, Scott. How are you? Hi, Todd. I'm doing really good. How have you been? Good. You, I was, you just got back from a doxology retreat. I did. This is um, – every year doxology has this uh, – they call it the grand reunion where they have all of the uh, all of the graduates of their – they invite all of the graduates of their certificate program, which they've been doing for, I don't know, seven or eight years now. Uh, they invite them all together to kind of – usually a, a Catholic retreat center somewhere. Uh, so the, the graduates and their wives – and uh, and then they have uh, it's a time of worship and meditation and and uh, hearing some good lectures, a little bit of free time, uh, a little bit of um, I'll say kind of case study sort of stuff. And uh, and this year it was in Kansas City. So yeah, so your hometown, as I recall, that's where I grew up and where yeah. my parents still live. There you go. So we were in kind of uh, Southwest Kansas City, right near the Legends, which is this. Kind of a big shopping area in the southwest uh, southwest corner on the Kansas side, so uh-huh. that was good. And I uh, got back at nine a.m. Monday morning, so I'm uh, about recovered from my jet lag and making visits and sort of doing the pastor thing. Now, what have you been you guys, up to? Did you get any good barbecue while you were there? You know, I didn't, and that makes me very sad. But yeah. um, it is not because I didn't eat. It just didn't kind of work in terms of time. And the one evening that we had when we were going to try to do it, uh, there was some other event that basically meant that every restaurant on earth was was booked until 9 o'clock at night. And I just didn't want to wait that long. So yeah, I'll get it another time. Yeah, sure. There's so what you've been up to time. this week? Anything useful? Well, uh, school's going to start in a couple of weeks. So – there's all sorts of faculty meetings going on and this is all new for me. So I'm I had to go to a, a new faculty orientation and uh, stuff like that basically to get ready for the new, for the school year to start. Right. Gotcha. That's been yeah. what I've been doing. There you go. Well, speaking of uh, school years and starting and uh, stuff like that, we're still in our, uh, what are we teaching mode here? I haven't been doing a lot of teaching this month. It's been mostly, mostly preparation stuff. So, but I'm uh, continuing this study of the Book of Ruth, which is, which is very fun. And uh, this time we did Chapter Two of Ruth, which is where uh, Ruth and Naomi are now in Israel, and and Ruth goes out into the fields to uh, to glean, and she meets Boaz. And um, Boaz essentially treats her as family from the beginning, calls her my daughter. Um, and, and there's lots of interesting language in that chapter about uh, if you will look with favor upon me or if you will look with kindness upon me. And that's grace talk. So Boaz, Boaz looks upon her in kindness and as a result, she is cared for. So that's been kind of cool. I've, yeah, I, I love the book of Ruth. Yeah. What are you uh, either teaching or preparing to teach right now? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I'm not teaching at the moment. I was teaching a bioethics course, but that finished. And in this fall, I'll teach the same course again for nursing students, but I'll also be teaching a couple of sections of intro to theology. Um, but in between there, I'm actually giving a little bit of a lunchtime talk next week on campus on marriage, sex and marriage. 
So I've been looking up and reading and rereading about what is the biblical definition of marriage and what does, um, you know, what does natural law have to say about the nature of marriage as a comprehensive union of one man and one woman. And, and, um, you know, it's good stuff. It's still important. I know, you know, just because the Supreme Court made a ruling doesn't mean that we still shouldn't be catechizing about, about, the truth about marriage. Right. And, and just the opposite, in fact. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that kind of forces us to get all the more on it. One of the sectionals that I attended this last weekend was by a professor named uh, Dr. John Kleinig, a uh, retired professor from Australia. I'll talk about him more a little later, but, uh, his section, this sectional that he did was on cohabitation. So mm, there's yeah. a lot of, uh, kind of a lot of parallels, a lot of interesting discussions. One of the thoughts that I had as I was sitting in on the lecture was, I really look forward to the days when I'm just having to deal with cohabitation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. If that words only. Yeah. Right. Cause uh, I mean, and I don't mean to belittle that as a, as a problem or challenge, but, um, but we are kind of further down the rabbit hole now, I fear. But what he did in part was sort of use the Genesis 2.24, the man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. He uses that as a, um, as a definition of, of marriage and kind of what it is, how it, uh, how it works. And so he has an interesting section on what does it mean for the father, for the man to leave his father and mother when in pretty much every culture on earth it is the woman that leaves her father and mother and goes to the man so you know you got an interesting thing there all sorts of stuff so uh i'm I, i'm still digesting all of it but it's good and i'm thinking about marriage a lot too because our uh our pastor's conference has a retreat every september and our retreat this fall is on marriage and uh and since I couldn't, uh, I couldn't compel you to come up and do all of your shtick on this. I have to uh, figure out how to do this. So it's been fun. So, what did you decide on a book that you guys are going to study? Not yet. Together? Not yet. Not I'm, yet. I'm, I'm, I'm toying with the Walter Trobisch book. Uh, I married you. There's a. I mean, obviously, there's lots of, uh, lots of possibilities, and I'm not sure if we're going to do one book or not. We'll see. Sure, sure. But, but that's kind of, uh, that's kind of what's cooking on around there. It's good. So are you uh, tired of talking about preaching the law? Shall we move on to the good stuff? Yeah, let's talk about preaching and preaching the gospel. So what is the gospel? (laughs) (laughs) Transport transport yourself back to uh, catechism class and, uh, you know, whatever, 1982 or something. And, uh, you know, we've, we talked for two weeks about preaching the law. And so if, uh, if, we, if we have a basic understanding of preaching the law, uh, what is the gospel that we preach? And what does that kind of what does that entail? That's, I, guess, I think that's where we need to start just so that's clear. Sure. sure. Well, th- simply put, I mean, the gospel is the good news about Jesus. It's, it's the message that the Son of God became a human being to die for our sins. And he rose again and, and through faith and uh, by his grace, we – We'll live forever. We can be forgiven and live forever. And there's a hundred ways to say that or more. And there's the Bible itself has a bunch of different metaphors and motifs that it uses to communicate that good news. But broken down, we tend to, you know, sometimes we'll say John 3.16 is the gospel in a nutshell. But I think that's, I think that's legit. 
Um, what is the good news about Jesus? Now that we've heard that we're crushed and broken and incapable of pleasing God by our merits, what what good news does the church have to offer? Right. Well, let 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 me start with um, a, a minor curmudgeonly side note because okay. um, one of the things that that continually irritates me about about preaching about bad preaching let's say is simply thinking of preaching the gospel as uh, as delivering information yeah and so and, and this is hard because obviously the word gospel you know evangelion you know, greek i mean this is this is part and parcel of our identity as christians is that is that language that we are talking about words we are talking about this um but it is not just words it is uh you know to to use uh, luther's language the the embodied word this is this is word that actually uh that actually does something it's not simply information and uh and, and I do think that in our culture, um, where where the know, where the where the imparting of information is so kind of universal, and you know, I can I can ask my phone, and I will I will theoretically get an answer to just about any question that's on the internet. Um, so information is cheap today. Yeah. And, well, and, and we're so infl- we're still we're still breathing the fumes of the Enlightenment, right? right. Which you know, which you is is the exaltation of reason and the cognitive faculty. So you know, this has had its impact in the church. Even confessional Lutherans who don't practice higher criticism of the Bible and don't, uh, you know, we think we don't let reason exercise mastery over us. Whenever we turn the the life-giving word of god into simply factoids about you know whatever yeah data uh, religious data then um then you know we're we're still kind of we're showing an inf- that we've been influenced by the by the enlightenment yeah. as much as we decry that yeah well i had a i had a classmate uh that uh, that once quipped and I'm quite confident he didn't make it up, but uh, that once quipped that every sermon should be an absolution. Every sermon yeah. should be should be uh, should, something should happen. It's yeah. not. I mean, and that's what absolution is: forgiveness. Forgiveness means that these sins are now released from you. They are they are removed as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our sins from us. Psalm 103. I mean that that there there has to be a sense. In preaching the gospel, that something is happening, and and that and that what is happening is not my doing as the preacher, but that this is this is God's God's activity. That this is what is what is God doing in this place? Uh, he's He's forgiving, and and you you mentioned the you know the metaphors. Um, you know he's forgiving he's creating a creating new life he's giving us he's he's making us in his image i mean there's so many different ways that the scriptures speak of speak the gospel that we can we can hardly even uh contain it but uh but first and first and foremost for me is kind of wrestling with the the fact that there is 
there is doctrine, there is teaching, there is knowledge that I am imparting, right? Um, yeah. Now, there is content <laughs> sure, I hold sure there is. To, the, to the sermon. So it's not like it's devoid of that. We're not mystics. But, right. um, but at the same time, uh, it is not only information. You know, let there be light when God's word, God's word speaks what it speaks and it happens. And so this, if, if we believe that preaching is actually God delivering, God delivering his gifts to his people and not just Todd standing up talking about what he was thinking about this week. Yeah. Um, if we believe that preaching is actually doing something, then, then we as preachers need to wrestle with what is preaching doing? And and where do I fit into that doing process? I don't know if I'm making any sense here. Am I rambling? No, you no, know, I'm, I'm totally with you. I mean, okay. preaching should be a transaction. I, I do love that quip, and I've I've seen it in numerous places that right. that preaching is absolution, and that you know, so, so that when you're, and that affects how you phrase things. It affects sure. how you how you stand in the pulpit because you're going to. See yourself as declaring something that's it's, it's like the difference between saying to a slave, you know, uh, here's the price of tea in China and all, you know, or go, you're free, right? You know, you've been acquitted, you've been released. It, it's, you know, it's, it's news, but it's, it's news that has, you know, that, that performs enduring something. impact. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It performs something. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, there's reason we use our reason and, and I'm not against, you know, I'm not anti-intellectual or saying that, you know, that we shouldn't have doctrinally um, powerful sermons or that we shouldn't have much content, but rather we, we can do those things, but we need to make sure that the tone and the, the overall thrust of the sermon is, is one of setting the captive free. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's going to be preaching that's, that's. And recognizing that this is, awesome. that this is not just. That the, the, that we're not just sitting here talking about the the price of tea in China. That right. that this is amazing stuff that God is at work doing here now in this place, and that and that we are privileged to be present when God is at work doing doing these things. Now, I, I think I don't know. I think um, it's very easy for Lutherans to sort of presume that, well, we get the gospel. Yeah. We know the gospel. So that, you know, that part shouldn't be too hard. There's got to be something more. There's got to be something else. And, um, and so there's always a temptation when it comes to preaching to, to make the gospel kind of the penultimate goal mm, and yeah. to make the gospel into Basically, behavior modification in order to do something, mm-hmm. and uh, and and we talked about that a little bit in in connection with the law, but um, but that the law the law informs it diagnoses sin it uh, it you know to use the Sunday school language it shows us our sin second use mirror kind of language, um, and in the same respect though the gospel creates. It it forgives it build it builds up it motivates. Can we use sure that does. sort of motivate or empowerment language, um, at least somewhat? Um, and and so what it is doing is far beyond. 
And, you know, and, I, and I, I'm always hesitant to try and pit God's word against it, against itself, because that's kind of dangerous business. But, uh, but yeah, there's a lot more happening there. Well, we tend to think, and I think this is true of evangelicalism and, and probably Roman Catholicism, and we tend to fall into this too, if we're not careful that, okay, you know, we've been released from our debts to God, we've been set free. So, you know, let's get on with the business of life. You know, start to tell, right. you know, instruct me how to live a good life. Right. So and then how shall we live, sermon? So then how shall we live? And that's not an illegitimate question, and we do address that. But, you know, we want to make sure that the gospel predominates. And it's the gospel, in fact, that sets us free to live in a certain way. Right. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't put us under new constraints. It's not turning the gospel into a new law. But... You know, it's the gospel sets us free from something, but it sets us free for something. It sets us free to something, the new life. And, you know, because it changes you, and I think that it does, I think the gospel changes the hearer. And, but it changes them. I mean, that's sanctification. You know, sure. we can talk about change. We can talk about transformation and a transformed life and living differently. We can talk about those things as long as we know that it's not the law that gives us gives us that that's the, the law shows it to us in a way but yeah but it's the gospel that gives it to us. 20 some years ago hearing uh professor kurt marquardt give a give a lecture i think it was probably confessions two, give a lecture on the formula of concord and and talking about uh growing in grace and holiness and can we say that the christian grows in faith and holiness and the answer scripturally is absolutely yes yeah. The question isn't whether we grow in 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 grace and holiness. The question is, what's growing us? <laughs> that I don't grow myself any more than a plant grows itself. That I am no. fed, that I'm nourished, that I am that I am cared for, nurtured, pruned, all of this stuff. And that if I get that order in the wrong place, then we're then we're in big trouble. And that really uh, that really affects how we understand. Proclaiming the gospel. Yeah, we do. We do grow. I told. I mean, and that's the danger is, is when we try to measure that, when we try to sort of quantify it and say, okay, today I'm a, I'm ten percent more holy than I was a year ago at this time. That's really, I think, dangerous water right there, hmm. um, because you're just going to get frustrated, you're, or you're going to turn into a Pharisee. Yep. Those are the, the, that's what's going to happen when you tr- when you get out your slide rule and try to measure your holiness and your progress in holiness. I think you do progress in holiness. If you're not growing, you're dying. But it's it's not something that's quantifiable, and frankly, it's not something we can even see. Usually, right. <laughs> I mean, God sees it. Right. Um, that doesn't mean that it's okay to just sort of wallow in our sins and that. Well, you know, God sees my holiness, but. Um, right, I'm going to use a I'm going to use a very rare sports analogy here, Scott. Okay. So, so make a note of this. Todd, All right, I don't know anything analogy. about sports. Um, well, I don't either, but that's not going to prevent me from talking. Um, I, I have watched a lot of sports, however, because I have children. And uh, one thing I have learned in watching roughly 20 bazillion basketball games is that if you are looking at the basketball. When you are shooting, it's not going to work. Right. You you have to be looking at at the bat. You have to be looking at your target. And uh, and so if I am looking at myself, 
when uh, then I am missing the point when my target, so to speak, is my neighbor. And that, and that I, I, the more that I kind of navel gaze and reflect on myself, the less likely I am to serve my neighbor. Now, now we are getting a little farther afield from preaching the gospel here, although I think that's a useful, a useful, uh, uh, conversation. It, it so happens that a lot of this, what we're talking about right here was a part of what, what we were doing in the doxology retreat this past week, um, particularly Dr. Kleinig, who is um, really one of my favorite professors. I've had um, a number of different opportunities to hear him, took a class with him on um, on Exodus, I don't know, three, four years ago. That was spectacular. He wrote the uh, commentary on Leviticus for Concordia Publishing House. He has a wonderful book called Grace Upon Grace. Have you read that, Scott? I ha- yes, I have. It's yeah, oh, fantastic book where he where he kind of outlines what he calls receptive spirituality. Um, now, one of the one of the things that he talks about um, the the title of his presentation was effective proclamation of the embodied word. Okay, so not effective, effective that that is having to do with the whole the whole person, not simply cognitive, not simply outcome based, but also the emotions, the heart, the mind, the soul, etc. Um, and and he he had an interesting section in talking about emotional communication. Now, once you say the word emotional, Lutherans tend to run, yeah, because if it's emotional, clearly it must be evil. Um, and, and he, he presents what I think was a pretty, uh, I think a pretty, uh, a pretty accurate and healthy critique of that mindset and basically argues that preaching must preach to the whole person, not simply a cognitive or emotional, um, or the imagination or, but it, that it has to, that it has to speak to the whole person. And that truly um, great preaching does not only move the mind and stir the imagination, but it moves the heart. And that, uh, and, and that, that, that really struck me as a, as a very interesting picture. He's got some really cool, uh, cool imagery that, uh, that he gleaned among other places from Luther. But a part of his point was thanks to the Enlightenment – we have essentially dissected human beings into these multiple categories of the intellect and the heart and the imagination and the and, you know so we so because we divided these things up and we have and we sort of made a collective vote and the vote was that cognitive cognitive process is the most important because you know well science i mean if it's science that must be the most important and that therefore anything else is less significant and maybe not even legitimate at all yeah. and i do wonder if in our preaching of the gospel if we sometimes fall into this trap because uh, because something is emotional therefore it must not be true or it must not be real, you know. Am I seek if I if I am preaching in a way that stirs the emotions? Is that actually my being a secret Methodist or something? Yeah, that we're that we're trying to manipulate, and and there have been though, and there are those who do. What did he give like 
what kind of specific guidance did he give on on sermon well, crafting in this? Well, way? one of the th- one of the things that he that he kind of unpacked, which I which I knew but had forgotten, um, was the uh, the ancient um, you know kind of the fourfold view of of teaching rhetoric in mm. in the ancient world. You know, logos yeah. appeal, and I'm just going to read this. This is right out of his outline. Logos appeal to the mind of the hearers by the logical content of the argument. So that would be what we would think of as the kind of the cognitive discourse. Um, ethos appeal to the hearers by the credibility of the speaker and his speech. Uh, Ekphrasis appeal to the imagination and the desires of the hearers with vivid speech. And then pathos appeal to the emotions of the hearers. And he and he argues that since the Enlightenment. And since we have people that are so emotionally damaged or disabled even and and that our, our hearts and minds and souls are so kind of chopped up that if I am if, – if my sermon crafting uh, is only one or only two of those, then I am – then at best i'm only speaking to part of my part of my hearers and some people may not may be shut out entirely and and what's interesting about that of course is that all of us have had experiences preachers where uh where one sermon will particularly hit one person more than another um and obviously some of that's natural but it does make me wonder if uh, you know, if some of this is what's going on too, that if I have a highly uh, logical, carefully crafted sermon that that is very heavy on on that type of rhetoric, that that's going to appeal to one type of hearer, and if I have one that is going to uh, that is going to be more emotional, that's going to appeal to a different type. Um, so how do I kind of? Piece all of that together in a sermon is sort of the – I think that's the interesting question. And and I know for myself that I am uh, very reluctant to, uh, to use kind of emotional language in sermons for fear of, of um, being – for fear of being emotional, <laughs> frankly, yeah. you know, and heaven forbid that we actually be emotional um, about something that's important to us. So uh, I don't know. What, that's, I, what I'm wondering is, and, and I have my own thoughts on it, but I, I'm wondering, did he give more tips on how we can do that? Oh yeah, yeah. There's um, yeah. There's there, there's definitely a lot. I think that we should probably do that a little more concretely in the second part here okay. for next week. But um, okay. uh, but before we before we get to some of those concrete things, I think we need to uh, we need to certainly recognize that in preaching the gospel, that we are talking about preaching to the heart and the mind and the and the imagination. And the desires. Uh, one of the things that uh, that <clears throat> that we that we heard from Doctor Yonke, and this actually had to do with people that uh, you know, kind of the importance. And this is a little bit duh, I think, but the importance of surrounding yourself with positive people. That if you're surrounded entirely by negative people, then you know, lo and behold, you're going to become a very negative person. So 
This will be the last episode of The Crux of the Matter. Sorry about that, Scott. No, just kidding. Um, but in the same in the same way, if I if if in preaching I simply kind of dismantle a person's psyche <laughs> and and leave them leave them in their sins and I don't actually fill them with the gospel, then I have left them in a worse place than they were before. I think that may even be in the Bible somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that so we gotta we gotta figure out how this all all works and particularly figure out the relationship between thinking and experiencing. And knowing knowing Lutheran pastors as I do, as we do, how was this all received by by the group? Well it was it it was perceived fairly well because this this kind of resonates with um, a lot of what doxology has been teaching about for five or six years. So I would say that it it was received more positively than one might otherwise expect by a group of of kind of curmudgeonly confessional Lutherans. Mm, um, but uh, but it's still a lot of stuff to think about, and there are a lot of dangers there. And I yeah. and I think that the the question the question for us is so how do I preach emotions and and imagination which we haven't talked about much yet but we will how do i preach this in a way that is that is faithful to what the text is saying and not simply my emotions yeah right right cuz there's a difference and mm-hmm. and and his answer to that or part of his answer to that is to look at the scriptures and and recognize that that what the scriptures do time and time and time again is teach us and deliver to us how God thinks and feels toward us. So that if I am if I am recognizing that God has a and you know you think of the think of the language of you know Psalm ninety one of you know He will cover me with His feathers and under His wings uh, you will trust. Well, that I mean that is an emotional image. That's a very that's a very maternal image, a protective image. That is an emotional image that is not simply about what my response is, but is rather how does God view me? And I don't know. I think that there's something really interesting. You know, you think of the love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, yeah. and your mind, and with your strength. Right. Well, right. that clearly is not simply <laughs> loving God with all your mind. Right. It's just why do you the opposite. Think, why do you think we are so suspicious of, of I mean, you know, what is it about? Being emotional. <laughs> I mean, because I don't, I, I'm going to guess that preachers have not always in all places had this problem. Um, wh- why do we, is it because we're Lutheran? Is there something about that? Or is it because we're 21st century Americans um, that makes, or, or both, or con- being, is it because we're confessionally Lutheran that we are so uncomfortable? I mean, your, your experience, you, you studied American church history. So you right? Yep. Am I right? So yep. you've you know all about the Great Awakenings and sure. the new measures of right. Finney, Charles Finney, etc. Yeah. Yep. Is is it is it, are we reacting to that? Or did Lutheran preachers in America prior to that, if there were many, 
um, preach less uh, rationalistically? Hmm. That's a good question. Or maybe um, you don't know. I mean, maybe there's no good answer. I just well, I, just broadly broadly speaking, the the church tends to gravitate toward one extreme or the other. We tend to gravitate either toward um, highly highly cognitive, almost almost clinical approach. Think Calvinism, for example, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then we tend to overreact. To that and go to the highly, highly emotional. Have you ever read um, that book by uh, Fritz Bowie called The Spiritual Society? Does that name ring no. a bell with you? No, oh, no, I know I haven't. This is a really interesting book. Um, the Spiritual Society, Fritz Bowie was a um, uh, he was a longtime editor at Concordia Publishing House. Um, really interesting guy. He has a PhD in English literature, among other things. He's retired now, teaches a lot, I think a lot in the Sudan. Really a great guy. Um, knows a good cigar when he has one too. But, um, he wrote this, he wrote this book and essentially, um, essentially he argues in this book that society has tended to gravitate toward one of these two extremes that we will go through a period of that is highly emotionally charged and then we will go through a period of overreaction where it is um where it is much more um cognitively charged and how and how the church kind of navigates through this is sometimes extremely messy so for example obviously the enlightenment was the rise of this of this kind of cognitive period and post and post enlightenment has you know we're now in this transitional state anyway it's a real it's been a it's probably been 10 years since i read it but it is a fast it's not a long read 150 pages maybe but it's a What's fascinating it but the spiritual society what lurks beyond postmodernism some i i think wow. i've got that title right i'll put it in the show notes but yeah it's a really yeah. interesting book but this is a part of what he tries to what he tries to address in this book is how this kind of how this plays out and and then how the church does it so again broadly speaking as lutherans we tend to a be a little bit behind whatever the major trends are that's going on and also not to fully participate in them so you know we don't have a charles finney we have a Samuel Simon Schmucker, <laughs> um, and uh, you know we don't have the we don't have a Karl Barth. <laughs> um, we have a, a Werner Ehlert or, or whomever. Um, so we don't kind of fully go down these roads, but we definitely are affected by what's going on in the broader in the broader scene of things. Uh, and I think that that's I think that that's pretty true for preaching too. Um, that, that you can go through. If you look at preaching, you know, you pick sermons, let's say from the 1950s. You're going to find sermons, in my experience, that are, that are fairly luxury, that are fairly kind of cognitive, and that are not overly, overly emotional. Now, if you were to look at sermons from today, uh, they're going to be much more. They're much going to be much more emotionally driven, and maybe to the point of exclusion. 
you know, I have certainly listened to sermons, and I'm sure you have too, where at the end of it, you're not even sure if there was anything. And it, and it may have left a feeling, it may have been a feeling of, of distaste on your part, but it did leave a feeling. Well, I, I, I think that that's us being myopic in how we're crafting our sermons, that we're not trying to preach, preach to the whole person. What did Kleinig say about the imagination? Or do you want to do that in next week's? <laughs> I was waiting episode. for you to uh, see if you agree yeah. that. I think we should. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm I loving want to the do that. Talk, but, yeah. yeah, I do want to do that because that was actually for me the most, um, the most interesting part of the whole thing. And let's well, do that. We let's save, we save that. Yeah, let's do that next week, and we can even okay. start off with that. Um, but just to just to sort of. Uh, round out this language and this this section before we get to our uh, our joy givers um in the in the in in preaching we are to preach to the whole person we shouldn't be afraid of of uh we shouldn't be afraid of emotions and of preaching uh emotions i mean you think of how many times in the gospels uh does jesus touch a person I mean, which is obviously uh, a very uh, physical and emotional approach. Um, and even language of fear, love, and trust in God. I mean, this is confidence is – or confidence or trust is almost an emotional term, which is kind of interesting to me. So I am really interested in what our hearers have to say about this because I think that there's a lot that could be uh, – a lot that we could wrestle with on this. Uh, you can find the show notes at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash 29. And I would invite you to do so. You can find us at feedback at thecruxofthematter.net. And, uh, and I hope you will uh, write in and tell us what's going on. And we will continue this, com- this part of our conversation next week. And we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk especially about the imagination. Uh, let's see here. So I think that we are off to our, um, uh, off to our joy bringers for this week. And I will, uh, I will start us off. Um, I mentioned, uh, uh, my friend, uh, Dr. Yankee talking about surrounding yourself with positive people. And in my experience, the most positive people that you can find are usually dogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, my wife and my family and I, we have two dogs. They're two great big dogs. I don't know. Have you ever met our dogs? You met Sebastian, I think, at my yeah. 40th birthday party years ago. But he was yeah. a puppy then. Um, yeah. I have not met these dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Sebastian is a Bernice Mountain dog, uh, about 110 pounds and, and basically, uh, you know, a big, a big goofy ball of fur. And Dakota is an Akita mix. So he's about uh, 75 pounds, something like that. So we have a German, wow. sort of your, your goofy German, not your, not your Hitler German, more like the, uh, you know, the accordion playing German. Uh, and okay. the fun uh, German. Yeah, the fun German. <laughs> and, and then we have our, uh, our, uh, our samurai, uh, Akita. Uh, so the Sebastian and Dakota, I, it is funny how I can spend, Five or ten minutes in the morning and in the evening with them, or however long, and I am always in a better emotional state afterwards. Always, yeah. yeah. So, so my dogs. Yeah. I'll put a picture of them in the show notes just for fun. 
Yeah, sweet. Well, yeah. you know, we're animal lovers here too, and dogs, yep. cats, we love them all. But yep. do- there's something special about a, a good dog. Yep, indeed so. So what's bringing you joy? Okay, I'm going to pick another book this week and because um, I went several weeks without doing books. And this is one that I read oh, a couple years ago, and I did a sort of a class on it at my church in Elmhurst, Illinois, and it's called Margin. And the subtitle is, uh, speaking of emotion, Restoring Emotional, Physical, Financial, and Time Reserves to Overloaded Lives. Hmm. And it's by Richard Swenson, and he's an MD. Uh, it's written from a Christian perspective, and it's it's not a it's not a dogmatic book at all. It's just it, it's a self help book. I'll be honest. Sure. It's a self help book, but the premise I think is sensible. He's saying that when we pack our lives so full of activity and things that grab our attention, and we leave no margin. Hence the title. We leave no margin, no, no extra room. You know, it's like saying, this is what I do all the time. Okay. I've got to be at some place at one thirty. It'll take me exactly 14 minutes to get there. That means I can stay until one sixteen. You know, <laughs> I do that all the time. I give myself yep, no margin. Too. Yep. And, and that's just one example of how we do that. And he says, what that does is exhaust you. It depletes you in every way, whether you're talking about your finances or talking about how you use your time. And, um, you know, he, he quotes the Bible a few times and it's, it's useful. I think it's very a useful textbook to try to get a handle on, on our lives. And I think we don't, we're not comfortable. At least I'm not always comfortable with margin. I think, oh, this is wasted time when in fact it's, it's very useful time. So it's called cool. margin and the author's Richard Swenson and I recommend it highly. Cool. Well, that sounds like an interesting book. As usual, you've cost me money. Um, yep. But uh, you're probably not going to go out and buy a 110-pound dog, are you? No, no. But I did just, I did just buy the book by Fritz Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, at least fair enough. We've uh, we've cost each other money, so it sounds like our goals have been accomplished for this week. Uh, do you have any uh, any final words for our dear listener, Scott? No, thanks for listening, and keep the comments and questions coming. It helps us. Yep. Very good. And we will see you guys next time. Bye now. <laughs> 